So they say that in the ancient city of Athens, that it was easier to find a god than it was to find a man. The Greeks had tons of gods and goddesses. So if you wanted to have a baby, if you wanted to start a family, then you would pray to the goddess of fertility, Aphrodite. If you were going to war and you wanted to ensure victory, then you would pray to Ares or Athena. There was a god, if you were sick, there was a god of health. If you were poor, there was a god of prosperity. If you were a farmer and you needed it to rain to water your crops, there was a rain god. But then if it rained too much, there was another god that you prayed to who was in a cosmic battle against the rain god, and you would pray to him that he would turn off the rain so that it would stop raining and not flood your crops. There was a god for everything. And so they had tons of temples, monuments, altars, idols. Some were small rock formations with maybe just a little sign next to it saying what it was. Others were massive temples that would stretch for city blocks long and wide, that people would come from all over to worship there, to pray to that god or goddess, to offer a sacrifice. And so when the Apostle Paul came to Athens, he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by the religiosity of the people there. As he walked through the city, everywhere he looked, another temple, another altar, another idol, another God. And it broke his heart. Because the Athenians, they weren't bad people. They were just lost. They were confused. They weren't any different than you or I. What they wanted most in this life was meaning. They wanted joy. They wanted peace. And so they looked to all these gods to give them that joy and that peace. And then when it didn't work, when life was still empty, they would just simply manufacture another idol and another God, hoping that that God would make them happy. Finally, this will do the trick. This will give me joy and peace. Today we're going to be looking at a story in the book of Acts, chapter 17. If you have a Bible with you, you can get that out, turn it on. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul say, look, what you're doing is not totally wrong. You're just going about it the wrong way. You're looking for hope in the wrong place. So we're in this series called Kingdom Faith, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not like a kingdom that you would find in Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. It's not a big empire with a big city and walls. There's not a big army. The kingdom of God is, is everywhere where Jesus rules with peace, purpose, and with joy. And so the kingdom of God is, well, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God can be in your home, it could be in your workplace, it could be in the grocery store. The kingdom of God can be in your lifestyle and how you live. It can be in your words and your thoughts. It could be in your relationships. It can be in your sexuality. It can be in how you spend your money. It is everywhere that Jesus rules with peace, purpose, and joy. And we've been saying that in the kingdom of God, each of us has a kingdom assignment or a, a job in the kingdom of God. You have a job and I have a job in the kingdom of God. Today, as we 
look at Acts 17 and hear from the Apostle Paul, we're going to see a little bit about how we put that kingdom assignment to use. How do we fulfill our kingdom job, our kingdom assignment? So here's the backstory of Acts 17. Paul is preaching about a guy named Jesus. He is preaching about this Jesus saying that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on a cross, and that Jesus came back to life. And if you will believe that, then you can have hope. You can have joy and meaning in your life. So as you can imagine, there are some people that don't like this. As Paul is going around preaching, these people are following him, and they want to punish him. They want to have him arrested. They actually want to kill him. So they're trying to do everything they can do to stop him from preaching this message. And so they've literally chased him around the Mediterranean. And so finally, Paul's buddies go, Paul, you got to go hide out for a while. Go to the big city. Go to Athens and just, like, lay low. Can you just let this thing breathe for a little while, and maybe these people will leave you alone. And that's where we pick up the story in Athens in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is supposed to be hiding out until his friends get there. Here's what it says. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. I would underline that in my Bible. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. It hurt his heart to see that these people, they wanted hope and they couldn't find it. They wanted joy and peace and they were looking in the wrong places. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. There were a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They began to debate with him. Some of them asked What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So outside the city of Athens, there is a place called the Areopagus. It's a big rock formation. And the academics, the thinkers, they would sort of hold court on this up on this rock, and they would just talk about new ideas. Imagine like a philosophy class at Harvard. You've got like the best and the brightest, and they just sit around all day, and they just talk about new ideas. And so they invite Paul there, because Paul's got this new philosophy. He's talking about this guy named Jesus, and they're like, this is new. We like learning about new things. Come and tell us about this. We like new ideas. And so Paul is about to, we're going to see it, Paul is about to uncork Jesus on them. But before he does, I want to just like zoom out just a little bit and see something, because here's what you need to know about Paul, is that Paul, Paul had a kingdom assignment. Paul's kingdom assignment was to preach Jesus to the Greeks, That was his kingdom assignment. It was a very specific kingdom assignment. And so the point of this all, and the point of this whole series, is not to say, 
be like Paul. We're kind of chronicling the life of Paul a little bit. The point is not to say be like Paul because Paul had his kingdom assignment. But I have my kingdom assignment and you have your kingdom assignment and they're different. They're supposed to be. That's okay. So it's not just be like Paul. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to see that when we fulfill, you and I, when we fulfill our kingdom assignment, others will encounter the kingdom of God. Your job is not to fill Paul's kingdom assignment. Your job is not to fill the person next to you's kingdom assignment. It's your kingdom assignment. And when we fulfill our kingdom assignment, people will encounter the kingdom of God. Here's what it looks like. Verse 22. So Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship, but that is what I am going to proclaim to you. This is how bad it had gotten in Athens. There are so many gods that just to cover their basis, they build an idol and they just write the words on it to an unknown God. Scholars believe it was literally just two stones stacked on top of one another and chiseled into the side of it is just to an unknown God. And just to make sure that they had worshipped all of the gods, because they got all these other gods, just to make sure they had covered their bases, they offered sacrifice and they prayed before this idol. It sounds kind of funny, right? Like it seems ridiculous. But it's also really sad. Because it's like the thing that they are looking for, it's right in front of them. They so badly want hope and meaning and joy in their lives that they will turn to this little statue, these, these, this stack of rocks for it, looking for it. And what they really want is right in front of them, and, and they can't see it. It's like this. The other day, I, uh, I call my wife, and I'm talking to her on the phone, and I'm in my office, I'm talking to her on the phone, and I tell her, I go, I start to panic, and I'm like, I can't find my phone anywhere. And there's just silence on the other end of the line. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I heard it. Like, I, it's in my hand. You've done that, right? You've been like, I got to look for my car keys. And somebody's like, you're holding your car keys. And you've been looking for them all through the house for 20 minutes. That's how this feels to me. These people are looking for a connection with something. They want joy. They want meaning. And it's right in front of them, but they can't see it. They're so desperate that they go out and they grab two rocks and they stack them on top of each other and they chisel some letters in it, hoping that this will bring them joy, that that will finally bring meaning to their life. And it is ridiculous. But it's my story and it's your story also. You see, each of us has this need. It's just in us. We have a need for hope. But it can only be met through Christ. And we will look everywhere to find it. You know people like this. You work with them. You go to school with them. You see them at the gym. They're so desperate for hope. They'll do anything. I know that journey. I've lived that journey. Maybe that's you. But watch, because as Paul 
fulfills his kingdom assignment, the Athenians are going to encounter the kingdom of God. Watch this, verse 24. It says, The God who made the world, this is Paul speaking, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. But rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Imagine how this shatters this Greek way of thinking because their gods live in temples, but the true God does not. Their God is all about sacrifice, but the true God needs nothing. Their God is formed out of gold or out of stone or out of metal, but the true God has existed from eternity past. Their God, if you don't keep them happy, if you don't appease them, you have to live in fear of their gods and goddesses. But the true God is the giver of life and the giver of all good things. Paul is speaking their language. He's relating to them. He says, okay, you're a culture that is dominated by this idea of gods. Let me turn that towards the true God. Verse 28, he's speaking to Greeks, so he quotes some Greek philosophers. He says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. These are really well-known phrases in the Greek culture out of academia. It would be like, it would be like today if we use the words, famous words like, I have a dream. We all, we all attach something to that. We all know where that comes from and what that means. Same thing would be going on here with the Greeks. He's taking their words, but he's pointing them towards the one true God. Verse 29, he says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, that he's an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Summary of what Paul is saying. That hope, that joy that you're searching for, you're not going to find it in a temple you're not going to find it in a statue or an idol. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it in your sexuality. You're not going to find it in your marriage. You're not going to find it in your bank account. You're not going to find it anywhere else. But that joy that you want, that you're looking for, it's real. Paul says it's real. It exists. It's out there. But you're only going to find it through God, who is the giver of life and everything good, who made himself known through the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Watch what happens, verse 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. See, this idea that somebody rose from the dead is offensive. It goes against everything we believe. And so people are, some people are just going to reject that, and some people did. Some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul, 
and believed. So here's what would be really easy to have happen is to look at this and go, okay, well, this is really unique because Paul is unique. He's kind of distinct. Paul has this really strong speaking gift. I mean, he speaks and, I mean, people listen and lives are changed in this pretty unique way. We could also say it's unique because, like, we don't live in a culture of temples and statues and and idols. And she might go, that's just kind of distinct. This is a very unique situation. Except if you think about it, it's really not. Don't you know people who are looking for hope? Like even as I'm talking, you're thinking of people that you intersect with that seem hopeless. They're looking for hope, and they try and find it, that happiness, that peace in their work or their job or their their relationship or their activities, or their kids, or by amassing material possession. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today looking for hope, and you've looked everywhere else, so you stumbled in here. See, our culture, we might not build temples and idols, but maybe more than ever in the history of humanity, we feel isolated. We are looking for connection to something. We're looking for engagement. We are looking for joy. And so God has then wired every Christ follower, you, me, he has wired us with a kingdom assignment to engage people. And yes, it's different than Paul's. But when we fulfill our kingdom assignment, when we do that, something incredible, something supernatural happens and people encounter the kingdom of God. So I want to talk about how we do that. How do we fulfill our, not Paul's, not somebody else's, how do we fulfill our kingdom assignment? So if you're somebody that takes notes, a few things that you can write down first is that kingdom engagement often happens outside of the church. So get rid of this idea that people only encounter the kingdom of God in the church or that it's the pastor's job. People might encounter the kingdom of God in the church, but often it happens outside of the church. Paul here is preaching outside of the church. So here's a little bit about, a little bit about my story. Right now, my kingdom assignment is to be the teaching pastor at Faith Church. That's the kingdom assignment that you know me by. But that has not always been my kingdom assignment. I've had other kingdom assignments. In fact, this idea of being a pastor was never on my radar. For a long time, I had a real job, and I worked more than just a few hours on a Sunday morning, which is what you you all think that we do. I had a real job. And so rewind about 12 years, I had just left corporate America and joined this small startup company, this small healthcare startup. And... Over the next few years, as I was part of that, I got in on the ground level, and as I was part of that, that company grew. We became from this small little group to this regional company, and I just had my head down, and I was working, and that was, that was life. I had never thought about doing any of this. And the church that we were a part of, uh, one of the pastors, he and his wife asked Nicole and I, my wife and I, to be involved in a small group. And it was there that they showed me what it looked like to walk with Jesus and to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And it was in that small setting that they taught me what it was to love the Word of God and to want to 
study it and just eat it up. And so just out of a desire to learn, I decided to start going to seminary. I still swore that I would never be a pastor. I just wanted to learn. And I just walked with Jesus each day. And I can't point to a moment. There was no loud, booming voice from heaven that told me. But over time, God just started to give me a new kingdom assignment. And that kingdom assignment was that through the church that we were a part of, that kingdom assignment was to start a new church, to plant a church. And so that's what we did. We planted a church out of that church that we had been attending. And so for the last five or six years before coming here, I was the lead pastor of a church plant. And it was awesome. And it grew. And we saw lives transformed. And then God gave me a new kingdom assignment to come here. And so this is my kingdom assignment for now. But there's going to be probably going to be other kingdom assignments. And whatever my next kingdom assignment is, I don't know what it is, but it might be back in the marketplace. It might be working in the office down the hall from one of you. I don't know, but here's the deal. If my next kingdom assignment is back out in the marketplace, that kingdom assignment is no less significant than this kingdom assignment. See, we got to get over this idea that the kingdom of God is only encountered in the church. Get past that. See, I look back and I, I wish someone would have told me when I was working in that startup company, I wish someone would have said, this is your kingdom assignment. Because then I would have realized it was more than a job. And I would have seen the people, my business partners, people that I worked with, I would have seen them as more than just coworkers. I would have seen them as people made in the image of God. I would have seen them as my kingdom assignment. I failed at that kingdom assignment. I fail at this kingdom assignment all the time. But I wish someone would have pointed that out to me. This is your kingdom assignment. The kingdom of God is not something that just happens in the church. The kingdom of God wants to consume every arena of life, work, home, school. Yes, church, but everywhere else, the grocery store, the dog park, anything that you can think of because the kingdom of God is not something merely in the church. The kingdom of God is if Christ rules in your heart, is everywhere that you are. And so the church is just another place. It is no more sacred than your office or the conference room at work. It is no more sacred than your garage when you're working on your car. The church is no more sacred than your living room. The church is no more sacred than, than Walmart. All right, maybe Target. The church is where you work, and, or the kingdom of God is, is where you work and, and play. Your kingdom assignment is outside of the church. It's in your small group. It's on the sidelines of your daughter's soccer game. The question for you and for me is, are we looking for ways to complete our assignments? Because you might not see your coworker come in and bow down to a statue or an idol, some kind of altar. But do you have that friend? He's always unhappy. Do you have that coworker? She's always in a new relationship looking for some sort of joy. Or she's buying new things that she hopes will make her happy. Do you know someone? Every story he tells starts with how much he'd been drinking. There are opportunities 
for kingdom assignment all over the place. And often it's outside of the church. Your job, my job is to have eyes and a heart to see that assignment, to see people who are searching for hope. I think we also need to recognize that kingdom engagement happens best in relationship. That people encounter the kingdom of God when they rub up against you in relationship. See, Paul found commonality with the people in Athens. They bonded over intellectualism. They found something they could talk about. He could speak their language. He could relate to them. Maybe it's this simple. Maybe you're a mechanic. Maybe your kingdom assignment is just to be the best mechanic that you can be. Because when you do that, it brings joy and peace into the lives of, of your coworkers or your boss or your customers. It earns you the right, an opportunity to speak into their lives. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe your kingdom assignment is to just love those little kiddos. Or maybe your kingdom assignment is to join the PTA or go and serve in, in one of your kids' classrooms. Because when you do that, you bring purpose and meaning to that space and you show people that you care about and you want to invest in your community. Maybe you're a teacher and your kingdom assignment is to be a great teacher and you'll never preach a sermon but your assignment is to be that teacher that all of us had that we can point back to, that we remember, that we go, that teacher really impacted us. Your kingdom assignment is to be that teacher. Maybe your kingdom assignment is to be a really great friend to someone who needs a friend. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse. Your kingdom assignment is empathy. It's to just listen to that patient. Yeah, the really annoying one that no one wants to deal with that keeps bouncing from office to office because no one will help him. And really what he needs is just for someone to listen. See, it's in this space. It's in relationship where people encounter the kingdom of God because they encounter joy and peace and purpose. That is the kingdom of God, and it wants to envelop every area of life. There's an old saying that goes, preach Jesus all the time, and if necessary, use words. See, your kingdom assignment is to engage people around you, and it's not preaching a sermon, and it's not quoting them all the right Bible verses. It's just treating people like they were made in the image of God, because here's the thing, they were and every day, you and I, we're bumping up against people who are just like the Athenians. They just want hope. And your kingdom assignment is that when they bump into you, just that they would encounter, encounter a little bit of the kingdom of God. And you're going to fail at that assignment all the time. It's okay. The best place for people to encounter the kingdom of God is in relationship with people who know you with people that a little bit of your joy can overflow on them. I'm going to share, I'd like to share one verse with you to close. A lot of times we hear the phrase, 
You need to share your faith. If you're a Christ follower, you need to share your faith. Can I let you off the hook? Can I tell you that that's not in the Bible? It does not say anywhere in the Bible, you need to share your faith. It doesn't say that. Let that pressure go. Here's what it says. 1 Peter 3.15 It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Your kingdom assignment is not to preach a sermon. It's not to share your faith. It's just to engage with people. It's to have relationships with people so that when they rub up against you, they experience a little bit of the kingdom of God. And whether in your action or in your words, they experience joy. Who has God put in your path that needs hope? That person, that group of people, that's your kingdom assignment. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we long for your kingdom to come, your kingdom and your will to crash into this world. God, today, there are people here that came here in need of hope. God, at the sound of my voice, through your spirit and your power, would you tell them that the hope they're looking for is, is real. It exists and it is found in your son Jesus. God, you've given us a kingdom assignment, each of us, a kingdom assignment. You've put people in front of us. Not so that we'd have the perfect thing to say to them, not so that we would give them our Jesus sales pitch or preach a sermon, but just so that we would have relationship with them, we would engage with them. And in that, they would encounter the kingdom of God. Father, would you help us to have eyes to see people that need hope, to have a heart that was like Paul's that is distressed for people searching for hope so that we would point them to you. Jesus, thank you that you took on your kingdom assignment that you left heaven and that you lost your life so that we could have life. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.